Go ahead and be seated if you would. Listen to what it says in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be uh, with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. I was thinking here in Revelation 21, it speaks about death not being present anymore. You go back into the Old Testament, very beginning of the book of Genesis, and he speaks of death because of sin. It's not going to be there anymore. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. And when we sing of when we all get to heaven, That isn't everybody that's ever been created on the earth. I want to make that clear. It's important. Uh, It's a nice feeling to think that, but it's not truth. Wide is the path that goes to destruction. Very narrow is the path that leads to life, and that's in Jesus and only in Jesus. It's not at Lone Jack Baptist Church or because I did anything. Uh, It's the mercy of God. But what a great idea and thought that God gave us, a hope that we look to uh, for the future, He will make all things new. And when you look around our world, we need some new, don't we? Amen. That's what he promises. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And I was thinking about this. As I look out over our congregation, and this is true almost every week, because I know some uh, better than others, but I know everybody to at least some degree. I want to get to know everybody even better. And I could point in any direction and say that I know somebody over here has a very desperate situation, and it's significant, and it's gripped their attention, and they come this morning (laughs) and are actually living life thinking about that all of the time. And then I look back a little bit farther, and I know somebody else. And this is a real true statement because I know basically where you all sit all the time too. And And I look back a little bit further, and I see somebody else with a completely different kind of a situation, and this is true today. This is true today. And it's, they come with a heavy heart, and they come in a certain level of desperation for God. And I look over here then, and I know that's true here, and I know it's true over there. And it's always the case. The struggles are a little bit different, but they're always there with differing levels of desperation. And if we would just stop and consider who we are before Holy God all by ourselves without Jesus, we're all in a desperate situation. Um, but then life deals with certain things that causes us to cry out to him. This morning, we're going to look at a lady. Her name is Hannah in her situation, which was different than Rahab's situation, different than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's situation, different than the demon-possessed man or Nicodemus. This woman has a lot to teach us. Part of the reason that we're going all over Scripture looking for examples. We're looking for different people in different situations that might help us to identify with their particular situation. 
Um, we're seeing devotion to the Lord. But one of the things I want to do is I want you to be looking into your Old Testament and reading some of the stories. How are you doing in reading your Bible? It is literally your daily bread. It's your spiritual food. And so hopefully this will be a little bit of an encouragement to do that. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 1 where it starts out like this. There was a certain man of Ramathim Zophin of the mountain of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, Jeroham, the son of Elhu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. It isn't stated here, but Elkanah was a Levite. He was from the Levitical tribe, and we know that because in First Chronicles chapter 6, it traces the lineage of the Levites, and in his descendants, we find two Elkanahs. Uh, they were a couple of generations apart. One of them had a son, Samuel, that's this particular Elkanah, who also had two other sons, um, uh, Joel and Abijah, and we find that in 1 Samuel chapter 8. And so this is the Elkanah that we're talking about. He is of the Levitical tribe, the priestly tribe. Um, This would be the Samuel who was born to Hannah and Elkanah, who bears the name of two of the books that that bear his name. Um, He had two wives, this Elkanah, the name of the one, verse 2, was Hannah, and the name of the other, Panina. Panina had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Panina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. Let me ask you a question. It's very clear. It's very simple. Who closed her womb? The Lord had closed her womb. Why did the Lord close her womb? We don't know. It doesn't say. God, the God of all power, the one who is absolutely all wise, chose to close her womb, maybe because of this particular story, maybe for other reasons as well. Um, We don't know the answer of why he chose to do that. We find other significantly used women in Scripture that were also barren. Among them are Sarah and Rebekah and Rachel and Hannah, the wife of Manoah, who would be Samson's mother, the Shunammite who helped the prophet Elisha. In the New Testament, we we find Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. But here it says to Hannah, Elkanah would give a double portion. He realized that she didn't have any children. His other wife, that's already a problem, all right? Um, But his other wife had many children, and she would give her uh, competitive wife a lot of trouble as a result of it. Um, To Anna, Elkanah would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. Verse 6, and her rival also provoked her severely, to make her miserable. How about that one? Her rival also provoked her miserably to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. It doesn't say this, but it may become in the form of, I have children, many children, and you have none. Over and over and over, mercilessly. Not just a passing comment but for the purpose of making her miserable. That was this gal's goal in life. It was her mission um, in this uniquely structured family. Uh, We are reading the 
facts of what happened with Elkanah. Uh, he had two wives. Um, that doesn't mean two wives is what we're supposed to have. We're not one wife, one husband, one man. That was their culture. Scripture tells the truth about the situation that we have. We envision in our culture this family being under one roof. That's not necessarily the case. That might not have been the case there. But there was obviously interaction because over and over and over, Penina sought to make Hannah's life miserable. Verse 7. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she, Penina, provoked her Hannah. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. It was so bothersome to her that she lost her appetite, didn't care about eating, didn't think about eating. All she did was cry because of the misery that this other woman was seeking to, to, to cast upon her. She was so affected in, infliction, in the inflicting misery that Hannah wept and didn't eat. But Hannah, what I want us to see as the story unfolds, is incredibly devoted to the Lord. Even though she was incredibly in, devoted to the Lord, she wept and, was, and, and, and couldn't eat because of the misery that someone else was causing her to have. Then Elkanah, her husband, verse 8, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? This is not, this is not Elkanah's finest hour. All right. Uh, Elkanah, uh, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Well, he wasn't too sensitive, was he? Um, maybe the idea of having two wives give us that indicator as well. Uh, but he wasn't too sensitive. Am I not better than ten sons? This isn't Elkanah's most tender hour. He might have meant well. Um, true, Hannah, you don't have any kids, but look at how good I am to you. I'm giving you a double portion, all right? That's what he was saying. Quit crying and just be happy that you have me. Uh, that's Elkanah. This isn't about him. This is about Hannah. What she actually did, though, was lay herself and her situation before the Lord. We're going to see that unfold. This wasn't a nice little prayer that she did. This was an agonizing, sobbing, weeping type of prayer that she had. Um, so, so Hannah, verse 9, arose after they had finished eating. They're in Shiloh, offering to the Lord. She arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord, and she, Hannah, was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish, or wept continually, or wept intensely, wept even bitterly. She has a devotion to the Lord, but her circumstance and her situation has gripped her so that she's weeping continually, not eating, and is absolutely in anguish and misery. Verse 11, Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant. And I want to say that in that if, she is giving God space to do whatever it is that he chooses to do in his sovereign ability as well as the wisdom that he has. O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant not just a baby, but give, give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all of the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. Lord, I am so, I am so desperate and grieved and afflicted. I can't eat. I'm crying all of the time. This other woman, her goal in life is to make me miserable, and she's doing it. 
if you'll just look upon me and, and, and grant me a male child, then I will give him to you all of the days of his life. That's a huge thing for a mother, and we're going to see that in a minute. And then she said, and no razor shall come upon his head. That's a reference, that's a reference to a Nazarite vow. Um, give him to the Lord all of the days of his life. We're going to see what that means as the story unfolds. But a Nazarite vow, we're not going to look at the passage, but if you want to write it down and read it later on, it's Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 through 21. And it's a specific, special vow that someone would offer to the Lord. And here are some of the qualifications of it. It was voluntary. It was a voluntary vow. You couldn't make me give one. It would be something that I choose to give to the Lord. It was a man or a woman, though this one is a little bit unique because Hannah is saying, if you'll give me a male child... I'm going to grant him to you all of the days of his life. And so Samuel had to buy into that decision as well. Um, it was voluntary, had to be a man or a woman, could be a man or a woman, usually had a beginning and an end, but here it seems like it's a life type of vow. Um, specific restrictions were given as well in a Nazarite vow. Um, there were some things that could not be touched or eaten. Their hair was not to be cut off, similar to Samson. They were not to go near a dead body, neither human nor animal. And at the end of the vow, a special offering was to be offered to the Lord. Hannah's commitment speaks to the level of devotion that she has to the Lord and the sacrifice that she's willing to make if God would hear her prayer and give her a male child. That's When I think about a mother giving their child to the Lord, and that would mean leaving him in the temple and just seeing him annually or occasionally whenever they went to Shiloh. That's a huge sacrifice. And yet that's what she was saying she was willing to do. Hannah is desperate. She's completely desperate. Hannah crying out to the Lord. Her crying out to the Lord was so intense that Eli, the priest, thought she was just out of control drunk. She was sitting on the front. She was just speaking, but no words were coming out. And Eli's assumption was, this woman is here. It's inappropriate. She's just drunk in the house of the Lord. Look at verse 12. And it happened as, they continu- as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. Once Eli perceived the genuineness, then he responded in verse 17, Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you've asked of him, and she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. Watch this. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. That's huge. She was desperate. She was in anguish. She was completely out of control before because of the anguish and the difficulty that Penina had placed upon her, and she had this desire to have a male child, and, and that wasn't being accomplished She laid it before the Lord. She talked to the priest of God. And when she left, she no longer was going to quit eating and her face wasn't sad anymore. She laid her heavy, significant, real burden before the Lord. And when she got up to leave, she left it there. And she stayed before the Lord in the spirit that he wanted her to be. 
some something significant can be learned from Hannah here. She took her abundance of grief, her affliction, her anguish, her bitterness of soul. She cried out to the Lord, literally crying and crying out to the Lord in the temple. The circumstance and situation hadn't changed yet. She didn't know completely that it would change, but she laid it before the Lord. She didn't whine and complain. She cried out to the Lord. We can learn a lot from Hannah here. And once she cried out to the Lord, I'm guessing that she remembered it the next day or a week later, and I'm guessing that she would remind herself, I laid this before God. And I said, God, I'm going to lay this before you. And he took away the sadness as well as the not eating. Hannah had a tough situation. Her husband is at best situationally merciful, Um, We do recognize some mercy in him. He gave her a double portion. He loved her, um, but not so tender at her lowest point. The other wife is just brutal. Her kids play and run and scream, an ever-present reminder of her inability to birth a child. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. She cried out to the Lord, and she left it with the Lord. And so when I began, I mentioned somebody over here with a difficult situation and somebody back there, and I look over here and there's somebody and there's somebody back here, and next week it'll be similar. It might be different people with different situations. We can learn from Hannah the spiritual profitability as well as the spiritual discipline of crying out to the Lord and then leaving something with the Lord. God, if you would do this, but I'm going to let you be God, but I'm going to lay it before you rather than constantly dwell on the misery and the grief that I'm in the middle of. We can learn a lot from Hannah here. I understand disappointments and difficulties. I've got them. Every one of us in here has them. At different times in life, the difficulty and the, and the challenging situation is different. Um, we can cry out to the Lord. We can leave our situation and the people that are afflicting us with the Lord as well. Maybe we need to remind ourselves, God, I gave this to you. I'm leaving it with you again today. I'm reminded to do that. Maybe Hannah had to do that as well. We don't know what it doesn't say in the story. Verse 19 says this, though. Then they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned and came to the house of Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So she cried out to the Lord, and God in his mercy remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time, verse 20, that Hannah conceived and bore a son, called his name Samuel, saying, because, uh, excuse me, because I have asked for him from the Lord. Hannah cried out to the Lord, and God remembered her and was merciful to her request. We're going to look at a couple of examples where someone cried out to the Lord, And they didn't get what their request was. I'm not saying don't cry out to the Lord, but you don't want to go to 1 Samuel chapter 1 verse 20 and say, God, you did this for Hannah. You must do this for me also. Let's let God be God. And he knows what it is that we need or what can be used in our life to conform us to the image of Christ and grow us in patience and grow us in mercy, grow us in the different things as well. Hannah's extremely difficult situation had a favorable but a difficult outcome. Think about this. So his 
And so the husband knew her. She got pregnant and had a baby boy. But her commitment to the Lord was, I'm going to take this baby boy and I'm going to leave him in the temple of the Lord for all of the days of his life. So she was the mother separating herself from her boy. And so she heard, uh, God heard her prayer. He was merciful to her, but it came with a very, a very high cost. It was very sacrificial uh, as well. Hannah's extremely difficult situation had a favorable, difficult ending. Favorable because God gave her a, mar- a male child. Difficult because of the vow that she fulfilled with her male child. And she did fulfill her vow of giving him to the Lord all of the days of his life. It's important to say that not everyone's difficult situation, hear this, not this one or that one or this one or that one. It's important to say that everyone's difficult situation is not resolved as favorably as Hannah's. That doesn't mean that God doesn't hear our prayer. doesn't mean that he doesn't remember us. It means that he's all-wise, that he's all-knowing, and he responds as is best according to his plan. How many of us, how many of us have prayed for our nation? And look at our nation. Um, where are we? And yet we have to recognize that God has a plan for the nations, and he's winding up his plan for the nations as well. And so we want to be wise in what we pray, as well as give God space instead of claiming something and trying to back him into the corner and make him do my will. It's more about us submitting ourselves to his will, and yet we can cast all of our cares upon him as Hannah did as well. Not everyone's situation that's difficult is resolved as favorably as Hannah's, Things like Hannah's situation don't always turn out for the best or favorably. And maybe that's true of you. Maybe you've had some turn out well and you've seen God respond in in answer to your prayer and his kindness and grace and mercy and other things you haven't received. That doesn't mean he's less kind or merciful. doesn't mean he doesn't remember our prayer requests. It means that he has a different plan. I think of the Apostle Paul who asked God for something three times. And he didn't receive it. Paul was dedicated to the Lord. He was sacrificing for the Lord. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, um, he had a thorn in the flesh to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations which he had received. A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. Isn't that interesting? God allowed it. It was a messenger of Satan to keep me from becoming conceited. The reason Paul was given this thorn in the flesh was linked to his service to God, the surpassing greatness of the revelation that he had received, which we have in our New Testament, 13 books that bear his name. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that that it should leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, listen to this, for my power is made perfect in what? In your greatness? No, in your weakness. When my power is the best, it's when you're at your weakest. And that's where Hannah was, and that's where Paul was. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is enough. My power is made perfect in weakness. If God is so powerful, we might think, why didn't he take away the thorn in the flesh that Paul had? Couldn't he have done that? Of course he could have done that. Couldn't he have resolved the situation from the person that's in desperation over here? Yes, he could do that if he chose to do that. And might still, we don't know about his timing or any one of our situations as well. He's got the the power, but he says, my power is best displayed. Its greatness is in the weakness that you have. If God's so powerful, why didn't he take it away? Uh, 
because he wanted to demonstrate his power in a different way in Paul's day in and day out reliance upon God himself. And notice where God's power is made perfect in our weakness. Paul learned that, and Paul learned that and said this, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ. Then I am content with weakness, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Because when I'm weak, God's power just comes in there and lifts me up. And and I've got a feeling that Hannah recognized that if God doesn't answer my prayer and give me a male child, that God's power is just going to come in there and lift her up, and she was able to walk away and not be sad. Same with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were able to say, our God is able to deliver us, but if he chooses not to, we're still not going to bow down to you. We're not going to bow down to your image. Other examples of those from Hebrews 11 who didn't receive their promised deliverance. We're not going to read the passage. I read it quite often here, actually, but I want to read the last two verses. All of these who had obtained a good testimony through faith did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us that they should be made, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. There are biblical examples of individuals who desire something for the Lord. They're desperate for God in a particular situation, and their prayer is answered. And then there are other examples, just as desperate, same God, intense level of devotion, and their prayer isn't answered. We have examples also from those who walk among us. And I asked permission to share this story because it's tender. And I thought about sharing another one, but I can't yet because it's still too tender. I think of Jackie Beck. Uh, a lot of us still know Jackie. Uh, there are some here who, who didn't know Jackie. Jackie passed in April of 2012. I talked with Bob this week. Jackie was a sweet-spirited, God-fearing, hard-working, people-serving saint of the Lord. She battled cancer, and that's what the Lord used her used to usher her into his presence. I'm sure that Jackie would have prayed and said, God, I would would like to be healed. And yet, he didn't give her that. Not yet. Jackie wasn't healed while she walks here on this earth. But she is now. She's absent in body. She's present with the Lord. God got her and Bob through the difficulty. It was hard. I'm confident that it's still difficult for Bob. In a weakness, God's grace can be made perfect in that weakness. And I think that's one of the reasons that God, one of the reasons that God gave us 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I want to read that. And that's not the only kind of desperation that we have present among us. We could give many, many more examples. But we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. It isn't that we don't grieve the loving believers that have gone on from before us. We, we grieve with a different, with a different uh, method, with hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not perceive those who have fallen asleep, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. 
Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. And so in the midst of the difficulty and a desperation for them, God didn't choose to answer in the way that they would have cried out to the Lord, but she's healed now, and he gives this hope of, when I come back, Jesus says, I'm bringing her and others who love me with me, and their resurrected bodies are going to go first, and they're going to get completed, and then those who are alive are going to be completed as well. Let's go back to Hannah's story. God graced her differently. So it came to pass, verse 20, in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son, called his name Samuel, saying, because I have asked for him from the Lord. Let me just highlight some of the things of Samuel's life to see, so we can see who this baby turned man was. Samuel would be called into the service by the Lord at a very young age, his service. He too would be from the Levitical tribe. First Samuel chapter 3 verse 20 calls Samuel a prophet. He was also at the tail end of the judges period of Israel's history. The specific author of the book of Judges in your Old Testament is unknown, but many attribute it to Samuel. First Samuel chapter 2 verse 18 is that Verse 18 says that even as a boy, he was given his own tunic. And that might just kind of, we might read that and pass over what that might mean. The only one that wore a linen, a linen tunic in, in, in the house of the Lord were the priests. And so even as a little boy, he was considered dedicated and of the priestly line, something reserved for them. He would go on to anoint uh, the first two kings in Israel's history. He was a man that was greatly used. He was a boy turned teenager turned man greatly used to the Lord in all aspects of his life. Hannah's sacrifice of giving her son to the Lord all of the days of her life was greatly used by God. Verse 21. Now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his, uh, uh, and his vow. But Hannah did not go up. She had had her baby now. Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, not until the child is weaned, then I will take him that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. So Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you've weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. Then the woman stayed and nursed her son until she weaned him. Can you imagine the intensity of the relationship between mother and child, her recognizing, I'm going to go and leave him in the house of the Lord for all of the days of, her, of his life? The day, the day finally came. We can only imagine the prayer she prayed while raising the baby, continually praying, I'm guessing. She must have spoken the word of God's goodness and spiritual wisdom to Samuel from his early days. Hannah fulfilled her vow. Verse 24, when she had weaned him, and that happened between two years and four years old was what they did back then. doesn't say what specific age he was. When she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bulls, one ephah of flour, skin of wine, brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, and the, and the child now was young. Then they slaughtered a bull, brought the ch- a child to Eli, and she said, O oh my Lord, as, my, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord for this child, I prayed, and the Lord has granted my petition, which I asked him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. And then they worshiped there. She she worshipped, and Eli worshipped, and I'm guessing Elkanah was there, and he worshipped, 
And was it a who knows what the emotion was, but that but the idea of God in His presence was so so significant that they worshipped. I find that Hannah gives us a very real perspective and a good approach on the desperate situation over here or back here or here or there or wherever your next desperate situation is going to come from. She gives us a very real perspective and a good approach. She was tormented, which didn't create the desperation, but it was part of it. She agonized over her dilemma to the point that she wept continually and couldn't eat. They, those both help us see that it's very human, very real. That doesn't mean she wasn't devoted to the Lord. It was just the intensity with which she was living. She prayed to the Lord, asked for a male child. She counseled with God's priest. Once she'd taken her desperate situation to the Lord, her countenance changed. She ate. Her sadness left as well. I'm sure there were still difficult days when she would remind herself, you left this situation to the Lord. When God granted her petition, she remembered her vow to him, and in the appropriate time she paid it. You know what we don't see? We don't see her running over to Penina's house and saying, look what I've got. We don't see that. But we do see something in the prayer that she offered to the Lord. The day she gave Samuel to the Lord, they worshiped. In the midst of her love for her son, and the reality that she was leaving him in the house of the Lord, the reality of him not traveling home with me this time or any other time, her reality was still God-focused, agonizing, I'm confident, leaving her son in the temple, fulfilling her word about giving his, him in service to God, and they worshiped. And then Hannah prayed a prayer. And I want to read it. Because this is part of the worship service that they had right there with this small cluster of people. Chapter 2, my heart exalts in the Lord, my horn is exalted in the Lord, my mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. She's God-focused. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from... Your mouth, for the Lord is God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, the feeble bind on his strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who, but she ha, who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. This woman knew God. She knew him intimately. Yes, this is inspired text, but this is what's coming from her heart. She had a depth in her devotion to the Lord. Hers wasn't a surface knowledge. This was spiritual depth. Verse 9 says, He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by his might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Verse 11 says, Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. So when Elkanah and Hannah went home, Samuel didn't. He had a new home. He was a young child. Samuel, it says in 
chapter 2, verse 18, was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod. His mother used to make for him a little his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to wow and take it okay, and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Can you imagine the sacrifice this woman made? God had heard her and remembered her, and she was agonizing and bitter. And she made a commitment to the Lord, and she followed it through. And it was intensely difficult. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, verse 21. She conceived and bore three sons and two daughters, and the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. God met Hannah in her desperation, in her agony. And maybe that's where he finds you today. I know of some significant issues that are going on with people in our church. It's true every week. Different people, different situations. Let's look to Hannah for what she did. She cried out to God in the midst of her agony. So the idea of being, of agonizing over something, that make you unspiritual. She cried out to the Lord. She knew him deeply. She found her resting place in him. She allowed him to respond as he wills. And if you have to, heed the words of 1 Peter chapter 5. And this is what it says there. I'm going to read the last verse, and then I want to go back and read a couple of verses before it. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of grace who has called you to establish his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore and confirm, and strengthen, and establish you. Listen, we're, we're not going to back God into the corner and say, God, you did this for this person. Why aren't you doing it for me? He'll start teaching us a lesson about humility and who we are. But there's a day that he's going to restore and confirm. What are the words he uses? Restore and confirm and strengthen and establish us. So when we walk in a desperate situation, maybe not with the same level of intensity as Hannah, maybe significant in a different area, when we walk through a desperate situation, let's learn the lesson of Hannah and how she walked with the Lord. I'm sure she still agonized as she went home and didn't have Samuel with her. She went home and made him clothes every year. She agonized. She was desperate. And yet she did well in her desperation. God answered her. It was difficult. He didn't answer Paul in one of his. He didn't answer some of the people in Hebrews chapter 11. And I don't know how he's going to answer you. I know some of the times he answers me in a desperate situation, and and I find his mercy. And other times, I don't get that. But I get him, and he helps me walk through it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you treat us as a kind, merciful, graceful, loving Heavenly Father. We think about Hannah. We thank you for the example that you gave in how to deal with a difficult situation from this woman's life. And Father, the next time that we're afflicted in our soul, and it's significant, 
to whatever level or degree, remind us of Hannah. Go back to read that story to see how she responded. Very human and yet very devoted to you. And yet she sacrificed as well. Father, walk us through the difficulties that we have. Help us to recognize that one of these days you're going to restore. You're going to confirm. You're going to give us everything that you have promised in the person of Jesus Christ and in your presence. And we anticipate and look forward to that day. We pray that in Jesus' name.